Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, presented by Curriculum Track, a brief retreat from your daily routine to explore the latest thinking and practices from faith-based educators and instructional leaders from all over. Join us as we swap innovative ideas geared towards promoting your school's mission, and we'll keep the conversation as fresh as you like your coffee. Hey there. Have you ever dropped into the teacher's lounge at your school only to realize that you're entering into the middle of a conversation or perhaps you just missed the best part? That's sort of what's going on in today's episode. This is part two of a longer conversation. But the good news is that we got everything on tape. So while we believe the second part will be just as enjoyable and helpful as the first, and like the first, it's rich enough to stand alone, we would also encourage you to consider listening to part one of this episode in order to get the full picture. We don't want you to miss out. If you're ready to go with part two, let's jump in. So maybe that's a good segue into the faith learning content that you've put together. We offer it through Curriculum Track to Curriculum Track users. It's an add-on feature, about 20 different academic areas. I think we started out with about 10. You referenced earlier that started originally with four, but then we pulled it in as 10 and then added 10 additional areas. Tell us a little bit about your thinking behind that. What problem were you trying to solve when you basically created what we'd call a reference sheet, a thought starter guide? How would you describe it and what were you trying to solve through it? I was trying to solve, I think you've taken the phrase there, quick start, to help teachers learn quickly some basic biblical principles about whatever given subject area they were invested in. So what I did was I created a philosophy paragraph which answers the why question. And then from that, and from a further study, designated some key principles, all of which the philosophy and the principles all come out of scripture. And that then would give teachers not only an understanding why they're teaching their course, but then specifically, what biblical base is there for that coursework? Then we went into an arena that asked questions and perhaps gave some thoughtful attitudinal ideas. And then ultimately, the last section of each of those is practice. So give us some examples of what you're talking about in this particular section. I think it's important for people to know that there are 20 subjects, but there are 80 threads. That's what I call them. There are 80 different threads. There are four threads for every one of those subject areas. I picked out what I thought would be important baseline ideas in any given discussion area. There's even one on technology where we address the issue of, let's say, for instance, information. And how do we best as Christian educators think about all the information that we're getting all around us? That's the basic overview or framework of how this goes, but also gives a general understanding of why I started it. And I should give a great shout out to a man who preceded you as well as encouraged me to do this, Dan Behrens. Dan and I have been friends for a long time, and those of you in curriculum track may well know Dan as well. Dan and I were having a conversation one day. We had a retreat together, and he was trying to encourage me to consider how I might put this stuff together and put it in a digital format that could be put online. That's ultimately how it all began was his encouragement to do this. I'm ever grateful for that, for the opportunity to do it, and then to expand it even further. There may be some rewriting that needs to take place. I think we started this, wow, back in 2016, was it? There might need to be some rewriting done at some juncture. But nonetheless, that was the purpose of it, was to jumpstart 
teachers and thinking about how do I think differently and then how do I teach differently in a Christian context. And that ultimately was the jumping off point. Yeah, and I think that's part of what makes it powerful is it starts right out with that philosophy statement to help teachers who may not even be aware of how they're thinking about the teaching of math or science or history or language in a way that maybe doesn't fully embrace biblical truth or how they can help students embrace biblical truth through the teaching of that topic. That's really powerful. And then all the way down to specific examples or I think you call them strategies or activities or things that could be done to help students begin to process that content. To be technical for a little bit here, there's 20 areas, 10 are discipline-based, math, science, history, geography, and so forth. And then 10 others are interdisciplinary, like communication, technology, money. I think that's a powerful one. Celebration, that's one I point to a lot. I know preschool teachers love that. They seem to gravitate towards that. But I tell the high school teachers, you probably need to celebrate a little bit more in your high school courses as well. Let's pull this one in too. 20 different areas overall that a school can adopt, one or five or 15 or all 20 at once. There is an added fee for that just to cover time and expenses. We have a wide range of schools using that content from non-denominational schools to Lutheran schools, to Catholic schools, to conservative Wesleyan schools, to first Baptist school of the neighborhood, a wide range. And teachers are finding it to be very helpful. It's honoring to be able to share that. How would you describe faith learning? How would you recommend teachers draw from this? Maybe think through a process. If you were to give some recommendations. Every single teacher that I know has to create lesson plans where they have to create some kind of calendar for the week that identifies what they're doing in whatever subject area, whatever class level that they're in. And because we're very intentional as human beings, much less as teachers, and we have to know where we're going and what we're going to be studying and what pages of the book students need to read and what assignment they're going to have at the end of the day, all of those things are very intentional. And so I would also argue that faith learning integration needs to be intentional. I would encourage you, if I were your administrator in your school, to identify a principle, let's say a principle a week in whatever given subject that you're in. And maybe by the time the school year is over, you have 30 principles that you've communicated about whatever the subject areas are that you deal with in one form or another. That would be very intentionally laid out in your weekly focus on what you're going to be teaching in the classroom. So because everybody does this, the lesson plan process, and I think it's a very powerful and important process, by the way, even for college instructors, because I see a number of them who really would be benefited by creating lesson plans for their students. My point and emphasis here is simply that we already do this. So are we adding something new? No. From a Christian point of view, this ought to be something that begins from our very foundation and just flows through us. And so we're just trying to, in curriculum track, faith learning integration processes, to get teachers to begin to think this way so they can teach their students Christianly in that way. I think it's a helpful process, but the key word here is intention. Yeah, intention. And I think what some people who are using it quite regularly find surprising, maybe a misconception that they have going in, is that I can be a math teacher, but I'm not limited to the math content. Speak to that a little bit. Why do you think that is? And what brings that about? So because I'm an interdisciplinary and I actually believe that all of these things are 
interconnected. And I believe that because of the biblical doctrine of coherence says that all things are held together by him who has created it. Colossians 1.17, by him are all things held together. By him, that is Jesus. So when we think about coherence, we're asking ourselves really one of the great educational processes, which is synthesis. When we think about synthesis, how are we going to bring all of these things together? How do we see them as a whole instead of separate parts that we stick together. That begins when we begin to think Christianly about things, when we begin to see the interconnection, let's say, for instance, between teaching Frankenstein and understanding medical ethics. Or when we begin to ask ourselves the question, where is it that we get our basic energy sources? And is there a problem with wind technology? I could go on and on to explain these different kinds of things, but I think what happens is in the maths and sciences, for instance, folks there forget that they cannot answer the should questions. Mm-hmm. The should questions are actually answered by the humanities. That is, what ought we to do? This can tell us what he or she does, but they cannot tell us why we should do it because they're simply dealing with the created natural order that God has established in his creation. It is up to the ethicist, the person who's thinking Christianly and theologically about everything, to actually identify standards of right and wrong. That's the reason why, by the way, books like Frankenstein were written as a morality tale so that people would understand that they bear responsibility for what comes out of the laboratory, for instance, in that particular case. So yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because if I were going to say to people, or maybe if we do some rewriting of some of this kind of stuff in the future, I would say, if your school has purchased all 20 of these, begin to call through all of this, read through these ideas. And what you'll discover is that there are all different kinds of biblical concepts and principles that apply everywhere across the board in multiplicity of directions. Again, because God is the one who has established his world the way he did. It works a certain way. And because it works a certain way, then we can see its application in whatever given field we're in whatever subject, whatever lesson we're teaching that particular week. We have the ebook that we've designed as well in Curriculum Track that allows for a keyword search that'll just go through all of the strands. How many words? You told me before the statistic. It's like 10,000 yeah, It's a 100,000 word project. 100,000. It's comprehensive. A lot of content there. But they could do a keyword search in the ebook. One of the samples we give a lot is if you're teaching statistics, which is anything from AP statistics all the way back to second or third grade, you type in the word statistics in the ebook, and it's going to take you to the communications area where it's talking about honesty and bias in journalism. The typical math teacher teaching statistics isn't going to necessarily go that direction, but you bring out a lot of resources and ideas about how statistics can be made to say anything. You know, you still need to be right. honest in your use of statistics. So it's an interesting thought experiment there. Now, 20 different areas widely used by a lot of different schools, cohesive, friendly, accessible. So what went into developing these? How long did you spend? If you were to describe the process to pulling this together, what did that look like? Oh my, wow. I guess I would say been my life's work. Honestly, I think I started answering one of your questions about where did this all begin for me? And I started talking about Francis Schaeffer, and he was the one that in his books, The God Who Is There, and He Is There, and He Is Not Silent, and Escape from Reason, all of these book ideas were in my mind as I was thinking about not only the content of my teaching, but also the communication of it, and how all of these fields interact with each other, I think was really 
powerful and important for me. So the process is really a lifelong process. It's what I've given my life to this in one form or another, not only in the classroom, day in, day out with classes, with students, but also in teachers with seminars and professional development and in services and speaking at banquets and all different kinds of directions that the life has taken me to be able to communicate these kinds of things. So sometimes I will go give you a very practical, specific example. I went to a conference in Illinois once for one school that was just the school teachers and me at administration for a couple of days. One of the things that came out of that particular time together was Renouli's law that dealt with how airplane wings are constructed. One of the teachers was suggesting this, that the reason we were talking about the principles of scripture and how they are embedded in creation and how important it was, he said, for Bernoulli, who established how wings on planes should be built. If you flip the wings over, they wouldn't work. All of these planes would be crashing all over the place. The design of the wing is done all the way back to this great principle as established in science. Uh, we can understand why we can see so many planes in the air at any given moment. My point in bringing that up is that there's an awful lot of interchange that's taken place in my life. So. When I go to a classroom or when I go to a professional development day or when I speak at a school, I start by telling the teachers, look, you're the experts. I'm just along for the ride and hopefully I can help in some way that might be beneficial. And they'll tell me, hey, I'm teaching on this or what would you say if I were concerned about the Holocaust? Uh, that was another example I was thinking about was they were teaching this particular book and they said, well, what would you do? How would you explain this or define it or where else would you go to talk about these kinds of things? That's what energizes me, quite frankly, is the process of teachers asking me questions. So if I go speak someplace and teachers are asking questions, that honestly is the best way for me to teach. And it's honestly the best way for me to teach in any given setting because I love questions. And questions are what people are interested in at that moment in their culture and context at that time and place. And that's the question I want to address, not some kind of uh, canned approach. I've got lots of things I can say to you. I can create all kinds of PowerPoints and dump them on you. If it's something that you really want to know about for your given context, then that is what I'm interested in immediately. And I will help you as best I can to come to some conclusion. So process, I would say it's lifelong. I would say it's probably best engaged with face-to-face -face communication with teachers in the classroom asking questions about how would you do this? Because that's where we get to some of the other things that you were talking about earlier, that it's about content, but it's also about application, right? So it's yes. the teacher saying, here's how I think this applies to what we're learning, which by the way, that's higher level thinking, synthesis, right. application, and you can't escape that as an educator. Would you say, and this is something that I've shared with educators, so I'm probably about to step in it here. So tell me if you think my, <laughs> if my thought of this is wrong. But I've told educators, I think the goal of this content, yeah, it's click on what you want to use. It'll drop it into your map. You can modify it. But the goal is to help you grow beyond this into your own practices of biblical integration or faith learning integration. Would you agree with that? Or how would you describe that to teachers? I think one of the sadnesses of education in our day is that somehow rote learning has become the four-letter word in education. Rote or that some established principle or idea isn't important. In fact, it shouldn't even be addressed. 
And what are we discovering in the very simplest of processes, let's say, for instance, in mathematics? Why is it that we are, in some cases and in some places, not teaching times tables any longer? Why is it that rote learning of times tables has taken a backseat or been eliminated altogether from a curricular approach, when indeed having that knowledge immediately accessible in your mind, in the student's mind, creates computational skills that are faster and perhaps even more analytically invested than could be done in any other way? Is there a process by which students can learn this? Yes. But rote learning is not a bad thing by itself. So. Ultimately, that would be a place to begin and something that I think would be beneficial for students or for teachers to consider as they go forward into the future, just as one example. So our recommendation to teachers is use this as a starting guide, but hopefully as you grow in your own efforts to infuse biblical truth into your teaching, you'll grow beyond a point and click method of here's what I'm going to pull in. It'll become more natural. It'll flow from you more personally. So in the same way that we're suggesting to teachers, hey, utilize this stuff, put it in daily lesson planning, that kind of thing, you do indeed grow from that in the sense that you begin to see things yourself that perhaps you hadn't thought about before. And one of the great things about the human mind that God has made is that we are made in his image. And because of that, we have an imagination based on this imaging that we have within us. That imagination then will broaden and create creative links in ways for us as teachers that perhaps we wouldn't have had unless we had actually had the content that would have initiated it. Is it a plug and play, a fill in the blank approach? Perhaps to begin, but like all of education, we begin at some baseline understanding of whatever the subject area is. And in this case, it's faith learning integration. Yeah. So yes, when we get into the process of plugging that in, seeing it in class, helping our students to understand it, our own thinking is expanded because of it. Yeah, absolutely. There's no right or wrong, but what you're providing is not when you teach this, you must teach this. It's not proscripted or prescripted or completely detailed like a teacher's pay teacher's lesson plan would be. It's truly a support to guide them in their thinking. Yes. Yes, support. Yes, coming alongside. Yes, helping teachers understand how it is that whatever given concepts or content they're looking at in the faith learning integration realm would be beneficial to them. Yes, to all of those kinds of things. It is not prescriptive in that you have to follow this particular idea. I would quickly add that there are some ways that people think they are doing biblical integration or faith learning integration, which is not integration. So I wrote a book called The Whole Truth. And in this book, The Whole Truth, there's a section of seven ways, seven things that integration is not. And one of the ways that integration is not integration is by illustration. So let's say, for instance, you're teaching math and you say two Sunday school teachers plus two pastors equals four Christian workers. Uh, that is not biblical integration. So we are not looking for a one-for-one -one correspondence connection to some kind of Christian thought. We are interested in principles that God has established in his world that are reflected in his scriptures that point us toward how to understand the world better and how to live our lives in a way that honors him. So the faith learning content through curriculum, I'm honored to be part of that from the support side. Like, hey, check it out. It'll be helpful. 
because I have seen it be such a help to teachers in their efforts who feel in some ways to be much a novice when it comes to faith learning integration, maybe because they didn't learn it that way or they've never had to teach it that way. And, you know, we've seen an influx of teachers moving from public schools into private Christian schools lately because of certain dynamics within our culture and so forth. I think this is a great resource as a starting point. But let's transition just a little bit and talk about, you can't stop there. You said earlier, you have to always be learning. You're the living curriculum. And if you stop feeding living things, and I guess they die after a while. <laughs> Maybe that explains some of the plants we have in our house. But you have just an abundance of resources, I would say, that would help teachers continue to grow. Thanks for dropping by the Curriculum Track Teachers Lounge today. We hope this conversation helped you feel more connected to like-minded educators and provided you with a thought, an idea, or even just a smile as you seek to do all that you can for all of your students. If you found this conversation to be helpful, do us a favor and rate this podcast. Also, be sure to share it with others. We would be grateful to hear from you with any ideas, questions, or thoughts that you may have. You can find ways to connect with us at CurriculumTrack.com. Isn't that just the way it works? About the time you get to the good part, the bell rings, or you get called away to do something else. Unfortunately, we've reached the end of the allotted time for this episode, but don't worry. We continue to roll the tape and we'll invite you to join us next time as we dig into this topic a little bit more deeply.